We're going to close the show with a historical mystery brought to us by another listener. My name is Mark Madeley. I'm from Houston, Texas. Madeley asked us about the circumstances surrounding Davy Crockett's death at the Alamo. Crockett was one of about 200 who defended the San Antonio mission from Mexican leader Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana and his army in 1836. Up against what most considered overwhelming odds, the legendary frontiersman and his fellow soldiers all died in battle. According to state lore, the heroic sacrifice fed the fires of the Texas Revolution and led to the region's eventual independence from Mexico. But Madeley wanted to know about another version of this story, one that claims that Crockett didn't die on the ramparts. Rather, that he was taken prisoner and executed by Santa Ana's men after the battle. Madeley objected to this version of the story. I mean, the Alamo is, well, we're told to remember it, right? <laughs> Especially as Texans. I think for, for me, with regards to, uh, to what happened to Crockett or what happened to all those men there, uh, to find out that, you know, this story of all these guys being, you know, dying at the Alamo in battle uh, to not be true, I'm sure it's disturbing to some people, a little bit to me, that there were guys left over. And so to, to imagine that things might not have gone the way we want them to go means, you know, letting go of something that's very important in the way we look at the world. Okay, so... What really happened? Did Davy Crockett die defending the Alamo or not? And I guess maybe even more important, why does it matter? We put backstory producer Nina Ernest on the case. To understand how Davy Crockett died, we first have to know more about how David Crockett lived. Not the Davy from the Walt Disney TV show of the 1950s. You know, the one dressed head to toe in buckskins, toting a rifle, and wearing a coonskin cap. I mean the real David Crockett the man who launched a thousand myths. So was he born on a mountaintop in Tennessee? Did he kill a bear when he was only three? Or I guess he says bar, right? Killed me a bar. <laughs> yeah, bar. Well, that's what the song says. Killed him a bar when he was only three. This is historian Andrew Torgett. <laughs> I don't think he was born on a mountaintop, but he definitely was born in the woods, on the frontier, in a lot of poverty. After a series of odd jobs from hunter to gristmill operator, Crockett made a name for himself in local politics. But what gave him a national prominence was when he was elected to the United States Congress in 1827. And when he went there, he was a part of this, this movement toward embracing the everyman. In some ways, Crockett owed his popularity to another so-called hardscrabble man from Tennessee— Andrew Jackson. Both men portrayed themselves as champions of the poor white man. But Torgett says that's where the similarities end. The reality was Andrew Jackson was actually quite wealthy and had a lot of great advantages. Crockett truly was the everyman. He truly was that poor guy. Davy Crockett, as he became known, was the true eccentric. He was the true representative of the wildness of the West. And Crockett played that up. He made sure not to blend in in the nation's capital and quickly became the talk of the town. He would often walk around Washington wearing, you know, his buckskins and what became kind of a costume for him, the sort of hunting gear that he would wear on the Western frontier. And this was, you know, a sort of say, shocking sort of thing, but it gave him attention on a public scale that he couldn't create on his own by any means. Torgett says Crockett knew that his carefully crafted image could also invite ridicule. And he had this problem where he wanted to be taken seriously, but he also knew that the caricature 
of him and who his life was, was part of the power that he couldn't escape as well. And he had to try to balance those two things to be taken seriously enough to do things that he was interested in doing, like helping poor folks from his district in Tennessee. But Crockett wasn't the only one capitalizing on his popularity. He was irresistible for writers and journalists who published outlandish tales about him. A hit 1831 play called The Lion of the West further, well, lionized him. Its main character, Nimrod Wildfire, was clearly modeled on Crockett. Because he seemed to be this wonderful character that could be used to represent so much about the American experiment moving westward, about the expanding United States, and about the power of this rugged individual frontiersman that was becoming a part of how the United States was beginning to think about itself in the 1820s and 30s as the country really starts expanding westward very rapidly. Unfortunately, his celebrity didn't translate into political success. During his three terms in Congress, most of the legislation he supported didn't pass. He also made a powerful political enemy in President Andrew Jackson, especially when he opposed the removal of Native Americans from the East. In 1835, Crockett lost his re-election bid. Stung by this defeat, the living legend decided to leave Tennessee behind. The story goes that he told his constituents, you all may go to hell, and I will go to Texas. And the question is, why? Why is Crockett going to Texas? He went to Texas because lots of people were going to Texas to see what kind of new life they could make for themselves. This is historian James Crisp. These were guys looking for a second chance because all of them had failed in their lives in the United States. And it's true of Crockett. Texas, then a part of Mexico, was in a state of political upheaval. Anglo settlers had been streaming into the territory for more than a decade— when Crockett arrived in early 1836, both Anglos and Tejanos, native Texans of Mexican descent, were rebelling against the Mexican government. Some kind of clash seemed imminent. Crockett enlisted in the Texas militia as a private, never mind that he was 49 years old. Torgett says he probably hoped to revive his political career, this time as a Texan. And so when Crockett goes to San Antonio, it's probably to build up support to getting himself elected in whatever this new Texas government is, to do a tour of the area. But it, it certainly isn't to get into a fight at the Alamo because absolutely nobody saw that coming. On February 23, 1836, Mexican troops led by Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana suddenly appeared outside San Antonio. Pandemonium just hits the streets of the town. They start ringing the bell, the San Fernando Church. Everybody starts panicking, and there's just this general retreat into the Alamo complex, which was on the far western edge of San Antonio at the time, because there was really no other place to go. The walls didn't even go all the way around. They had to put sharp sticks in, into the ground just to have protection all the way around, and it wasn't all that much protection. And so Crockett and his men retreated into the Alamo with all the Texas soldiers and a lot of people in town who were just seeking refuge and someplace to hide while they saw whatever happened next. What happened next was that the Mexican army laid siege to the makeshift fortress. By the time the battle ended 13 days later, 
all of the Alamo's defenders, including Davy Crockett, had been killed. When Crockett was killed at the Alamo, that was big news because Crockett was big news. But trying to figure out how he died there has never been easy. Crisp says that in the weeks following the siege, the local papers printed two competing narratives. You've got the story of Davy Crockett fighting like a tiger until the very end. And the other version, saying that Crockett and several others were taken captive and executed by Santa Ana after the battle. This scenario is backed up by a famous memoir. Written by a Mexican captain, José Enrique de la Peña. Which describes the scene of Crockett's execution. De la Peña says that seven prisoners were brought to Santa Ana. One of them, he writes, was the naturalist David Crockett, well-known in North America for his unusual adventures. De la Peña adds that Crockett and the others were stabbed to death by Santa Ana's men. But in 1994, writer and New York firefighter William Groneman, and lifelong Davy Crockett fan, claimed there were inconsistencies in the De La Pena account. It always bothered me that how this Mexican officer, who had never been to the United States, was only in Texas for the first time. Crockett had only been in Texas two months before the Alamo fell. How would he have known on site Davy Crockett? The more he looked into it, the more Groneman's doubts grew. For example, he says that De La Pena's memoir wasn't even discovered until 1955, and he's convinced it's a fake or perhaps a forgery. So I made that fact known back in the early 1990s, and it started a big controversy that's still going on today. And one of the reasons it exploded into controversy is because I was asked to review Bill Groneman's book. This is historian James Crisp again. And unfortunately, his argument didn't close. His, he hadn't proved his point. Crisp says De La Pena's was one of three eyewitness accounts to the execution. And he did his own research and concluded that the memoir was authentic. So it's likely that Crockett did die after the battle. This caused an uproar among Alamo aficionados, including one woman on the streets of San Antonio who told him. If I had my Bowie knife, I would gut you right now because hanging is too good for you. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you actually read what I wrote? And she said, no, I'm just a Crockett loyalist. Since then, Crisp and Groneman have been the key figures in the how did Davy die debate. Crisp is pretty sure he was executed. Groneman thinks the answer is unknowable. And there's only one thing that would change his mind. Somebody inventing a time machine and going back to the Battle of the Alamo and actually see what happened. There's no way to know. You can't verify any of these things. In other words, the Crisp and Groneman camps will never see eye to eye. To me, this seems like a historical dispute that obscures a larger point. Can we know how he died? Not with 100% certainty. But whichever side of the debate you fall on, it's pretty clear that yes, Davy Crockett did die defending the Alamo. Even if he was executed afterward, he still lost his life fighting a losing battle. The bigger question is, why do we care? I don't really think it does matter, but it began to matter, like I say, a few years back when all the spin in the media was, was put on that 
if he was executed, that meant he surrendered. That meant he gave up after encouraging everyone else to fight to the death. And that meant he was a coward. Because allowing yourself to be taken captive has a lot of wrinkles to it, a lot of layers to it. And when I argued that Crockett had actually been executed, people were calling me up and some of them were kind of asking legitimate questions, but many of them were saying, as one British guy did, would you say that Crockett was a coward? And I would say, no. On this point, the two men actually agree. You know, if if Crockett had been executed, it doesn't take away from a whole life uh, of uh, good service to other people. But that fine difference clearly matters to a lot of people, including the woman who threatened to gut James Crisp with a Bowie knife. Andrew Torgett says it's no accident that Crockett resurfaced as a pop culture icon during the Cold War, both in the Walt Disney series and in the John Wayne film The Alamo. One movie is worth 100,000 academic books in terms of how the public thinks about stuff. And so the story about the Alamo today really is that there's this group of men who believe so strongly in freedom and liberty and independence that they knew they were going to die. But it was more important to stand up for those ideals that if Crockett then is seen to surrender after these new pieces of evidence come out, that seems to take away somehow from that idea. It doesn't have the same kind of punch that people who grew up in the 50s and 60s and even 70s and 80s would have had from the idea of the Crockett story, which is about no surrender, no matter how terrible the odds. Both in his own time and in his mythic afterlife, Davy Crockett has reflected how Americans want to see themselves. Backstory producer Nina Ernest brought us that story. We also heard from Andrew Torgett, a historian at the University of North Texas and author of Seeds of Empire, Cotton, Slavery, and the Transformation of the Texas Borderlands, 1800 to 1850. James Crisp is a historian at North Carolina State University and the author of Sleuthing the Alamo, Davy Crockett's Last Stand, and Other Mysteries of the Texas Revolution. William Groneman is author of Eyewitness to the Alamo. 